Alrighty, if you have your Bibles, please open them up to Genesis chapter 30. Um, Alright, so last week uh, we learned a little bit more about Jacob's life um, and how after he had married both uh, Leah and Rachel, how the family grew, essentially, and how God was um, blessing the family as it grew. And they made some really weird mistakes, and we talked about that. We, we, learned, we remember how they just made a lot of actually mistakes, and we remember how God is gracious to them even though they made these mistakes. Well, t- today we're going to continue on with Jacob um, and see, see deceptions again, how they come back to haunt him, and how he uses deceptions too, and how uh, Jacob's life is just one of learning um, that God is a very gracious God. <laughs> That's the way I always look at it. So uh, starting with verse 25. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me, for you have had little before I came, but it increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, what shall I give you? And I'm going to cut it off right there on verse 31 with uh, 31a, as you see, because it goes on a little bit more. But um, All right, so the rest of chapter 30 begins with the recollection of everything that has happened. We notice that from this verse, we see how Rachel has had uh, Joseph. Um, and at this point, the catalyst is set for Jacob to desire to return home finally after 14 years. Thus, he requests his leaves from Laban. Indeed, we notice he focuses on his wife and children. This was his wages for the last 14 years. He has endeavored for no wealth apart from this. And as such, these were his wages by default, and that's what we're seeing in this, in this context. Is he has his children, he has his wives, I want to go back now. Laban, however, has other plans. While it is true that all of this has occurred, Laban knows that the reason for his personal success is because the Lord has blessed Jacob. As such, Laban has benefited from this and would prefer for his prize to stay rather than go. Thus, Laban offers Jacob to stay by offering him further wages to increase his wealth. Jacob's response is pretty simple. Throughout his tenure in Laban's camp, Laban has prospered. As such, Jacob and his family, and and, and this is wonderful that he has them, but in in order to provide for his family, he has really nothing to offer them. Thus, he requests something in order to make provision for his family. Basically, Jacob is saying that Laban wouldn't allow his children and grandchildren to go without, right? So as such, Laban's response is, well, what would you like then? And so now we're going to get to 31 through 36, and we'll reread all of 31. He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good! 
Let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. All right. So at this point, Jacob responds with a tantalizing offer. Instead of demanding anything from Laban, Jacob makes a rather simple crest. It begins with Jacob continuing to work for Laban as a shepherd. So far, so good. Again, Laban has increased his wages tremendously because of Jacob. There is nothing wrong with that. I mean, under Jacob again, Laban has prospered. So why not let him continue to work? So far, so good for Laban. Then Jacob adds that he would like to remove from the current flock every speckled and spotted sheep and goat and every black lamb. Thus Laban will keep the animals with white fur while um, Jacob will take the others. This will be his wages. If at some time Laban finds Jacob having other, any other animals other than the one set as above, then Laban can claim that it was stolen. Laban immediately agrees. I mean, why not again? After all, the majority of his flock wouldn't be what Jacob was asking for, um, so it makes more sense for him to accept rather than to reject this offer. Then Laban, the ever-crafty, decides that he will take all of those that Jacob had requested and left only those who were not speckled or spotted or the black lambs. Thus, all that was left were those which were naturally would belong to Laban. Because of this, Jacob would need to shepherd over a flock that he would likely not receive much wage from. In this way, Laban sought to, again, deceit Jacob out of his wages. So it's a pretty, pretty dis, uh, disturbing deception. But now we're going to get into this, starting in verse 37. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the trough, that is, the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the flock faces of the flocks toward the stripes and all the black in front of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flocks. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the trough before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. Admittedly, at this point, things get a little weird. So, and, you know, if you've ever raised animals, you're probably thinking, what? Basically, using some sticks of almond and plane trees, he made them spotted and speckled after he peeled them. In doing this, he put them in front of the water troughs, and thus when they watered, they copulated, and copulating in front of these sticks resulted in striped, speckled, and spotted animals. From this, Jacob began to increase his wages. As you remembered, Laban had said Jacob gets the spotted, speckled, and striped. Um, now Jacob begins to form his own herd from Laban's, all the while causing the stronger ones to copulate in front of the sticks in order to get his own stronger, while Laban's became increasingly weaker. From this, Jacob manages to increase greatly. He had large flocks, servants, camels, and donkeys. 
He did all of this without really doing anything against his arrangement with Laban. All the while, he increased while Laban began to decrease. Thus, the original deceiver, who was deceived by the, another deceiver, has now deceived said deceiver in a clear case of double deceiving deceptions. That's what's happening. That's literally what just happened. And even now, you're still wondering, what on earth with those sticks? And David is going to go try it soon. <laughs> He's going to try to do that same thing. Anyway, so I, I really don't have anything to offer about that other than this is what happened. Um, we are going to talk about it, I guess, a little bit. But we're going to find out why this even happened to begin with actually later on. And you'll see that um, probably next week, not the week after because that's Easter. Anyway. The main point of this story, though, is to show how Jacob's wages began to increase. Originally, Jacob had simply decided he would like to return home, but Laban persuaded him into staying further. Laban also conned him on the original deal by taking out all the flocks Jacob had requested for himself. Regardless of Laban's deceptions, in the end, Jacob still received the wages owed to him and abundantly more. All right, so application points. And I came up with one with a bunch of different things within it. So within today's text, we see a number of schemes taking place. Right after the recognition that God is the one who has blessed Jacob and therefore Laban, we find Laban willingly tricking the one God has so decided to bless. By doing this, Laban was seeking the blessing outright so that Jacob would basically become an indentured servant as it would take a long time for his wealth to accumulate under this kind of a situation. Thus, we find the scheming begin with Laban, who is willing to scheme for his own betterment rather than the betterment of everyone involved. Despite God being the one who blesses, Laban tries to manipulate it so that he ends up with the blessing instead. And to be honest, this is little different than what Jacob did with his father, Isaac, and his brother Esau. Indeed, it seems again that Jacob's past has come back to haunt him, as his father-in-law again tries to take advantage of him in much the same way. Jacob desired the blessing, after all, and was willing to manipulate to get it. So it is the case with Laban. So right away, we receive a warning about human scheming. We are not to be like Laban, who tries to manipulate others in such ways. We are not to live our lives trying our best to win over the blessing God may bestow upon others or even to live our lives trying to only get that blessing. Unfortunately, there are many today who believe this is exactly what we should be doing. Yet in attempting to do this, we manage to only find ourselves reaching for a gold coin rather than the entire treasure. For while blessings are wonderful, and we should rejoice in every blessing God has granted to us, in the end, God himself is the treasure which he offers to us. It's not the blessing but the one who blesses us. That's the real prize. Thus, with Laban, we find an individual who is not focusing on God, a man who cares little if he himself is the recipient of God's blessing. Indeed, we find an individual who is willing to manipulate and scheme for his own benefit, even if it means taking advantage of those who are truly blessed. And as such, we see the folly in his ways. Further, it shows us the heart of Laban as an individual, who believes that the blessing can be taken rather than received coming from God. Indeed, blessings only occur because God has granted them to us. We are the ones who are blessed, and as such, we should use our blessings to further God's glory. Now, to be honest, it would be wrong, though, to assume that Laban is the only guilty party here. While it is true that Jacob has wronged and schemed against, been wronged and schemed against, he also did try to appear some superstitious ritual, 
in order to gain the flocks he was owed. As such, Jacob isn't the best or most inspirational character in the story either. So where are the Jacobs today? Where are those who would try superstition and, assuming it works, willingly continue to devote their time and energy into such superstitions? I suspect we'll find them in a number of places, whether it is in the spiritual health self-help books, on the shelf at the bookstore, or the individuals who uh, believe this particular church program is the best program. Now, you might wonder, what do you mean by all this, Pastor? Well, to be honest, I could consider Jacob today. I really could. I could imagine Jacob today. He'd be trying to sell his number one bestseller book on how to use some sticks to get the flocks you want. He might call his book Spotted, Speckled, and Striped. Ten ways to use sticks to get your most desired flock results. Even works in churches. (laughs) You know, you could see that. And we find them all over the place. And why do we see all these books basically saying this around us? Well, it's because we see what's around us to begin with. We see churches failing. And so we will do whatever it takes in order for us to stop the bleeding, so to speak. Even if that means using superstitious means or questionable means in order to get our way. Some of you might remember this, as I think I've mentioned it before. Um, But I remember hearing one time that one of the last sermon, or the last sermon of Martin Luther preached, it dealt with Joseph's pants. Now you say, Joseph's pants? And I say, yes, Joseph's pants. Why Joseph's pants? Because during the Reformation, there were these things called relics. And basically, everyone believed that these relics held power. So people would travel far and wide in order to pray in front of these relics. Whether they were Joseph's pants, the skull of Peter, or one of the other 20 disciples at the time, or the wood from the cross, the Holy Grail. They would seek them out because they believed that they had this power. That they somehow made things better. And Martin Luther, he said, no. You don't need Joseph's pants. You don't need any of those relics. All you need is Christ. You have Jesus. He is all that matters. The scriptures to tell you. It is much the same with Jacob as I see it. Jacob seemed to believe that he had found this way to manipulate the situation. He had this scheming and it seemed to work. Indeed, I am sure there are those who might have even tried somehow to use this on their own flocks just to see if it would work the way it did for him. But the truth is, it isn't in the scheme. It's in the blessing of God. Something Jacob himself will attest to later on in the next chapter. Thus, don't be persuaded to follow Jacob's example and start doing things which are superstitious at best. Instead, focus on God. Superstitions have truly no power in this world. The only one who has power is Christ. Let me reread to you what we went over in Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, 
who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above a reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Notice what Paul says. It is in Christ the fullness of God dwells. He is above all the world, above all powers, above all nations, above all superstitions. He is above them all. He has done what none of us could possibly do by reconciling us with his blood. He has accomplished this great feat. He has done it. When we fall prey to superstitions, we are trading that which has true power, the gospel, for that which does not have any power. And interestingly enough, it is far often the case that those who peddle superstitions to us are those who are scheming the most. Those who are scheming the most to take the blessings from our congregations and take them for themselves. So we come back full circle with scheming and superstitions. All we are left with are three things. The first is, do not be a schemer. Do not be one who tries to manipulate situations. Instead, seek the truth and encourage the truth and shine the light on others so that they may know the truth instead of lies. Seek to live and gain honestly rather than in sinful pursuits. The second is this, do not fall prey to schemers. They will find a way to win over the blessings you have, whether it is financial blessings or your joy, your happiness, taking advantage of your hearts full of grace by taking your grace as much as they can, even your peace. This is the way of the schemer. They only think of themselves. Instead, share your blessings with those who are truly in need, not those who are actively pursuing, but those around you who are hurting. Brothers and sisters of the faith especially, who might have a need, whether it's financial or a word of love or grace. Sharing the blessings with them, comforting them in peace. The third is this, do not fall to superstitions. There are many superstitions around us. Again, go look at the majority of Christian self-help books, or Facebook posts, or blog posts, etc. And you'll find a number of individuals who believe they have found the answer And if you buy their book and follow their advice, you can have it too. Now, it's one thing to pick up a book for learning um, something. It's quite another when a book is willingly telling you, do X, Y, and Z, and you will be fulfilled. If you want fulfillment, read your Bibles. If you want to know the truth about God's character and our own, pick up your Bible. There is so much deception in our midst. So many false teachings and false ways which try to take advantage of us and what God has for us. Be encouraged to not follow their ways, but follow after Christ. For his ways are pure and good and lead to righteousness in this life. Seek then to glorify God with all of who you are, being aware of the many pitfalls and temptations which come from darker means. The world offers us various tantalizing fruit. Don't take it. Don't touch it. Instead, live for God and his glory. 
knowing that he is the light of the world and his light will scatter all darkness before us, whether schemers or superstitions or whatever trick the world has for us. Because through his truth, we can know the way to live, the way to go, and most importantly, the way to give glory to this God who so dearly loves us that he gave his only son for us. So I admit, that's a bit of a shorter sermon today. Um, You're welcome. (laughs) I know. But the truth is that we still have a few things to go over with the gospel. Um, And the truth is, and we we talked about it today in in Sunday school about origins and how important it is that we understand origins. Because origins sets the foundation, right? I mean, if if we believe that humans are just descendants of a amoeba after time plus matter plus chance, that's going to have a different effect on how you believe humanity should be viewed. But if humanity is viewed as the image of God, and that we have this intrinsic value within us because God has created us as his masterpieces, and if we look at it from the perspective that God is truly grand, and this grand God took time to create you, and wants you to exist here in this world for his glory, then that means that every human, again, has value. And it's unfortunate that we live in a world where there's so many people who are deceived into thinking that they're nothing more than stardust. Stardust is nothing. Being made an image of God, however it is. But then we have a problem. That's something that we do encounter today, and that's the fall. I mean, Laban is Jacob's (laughs) father-in-law. Fourteen years he made him work for no wages other than his, his wife's. His wives. Can you think about that for a second? not receiving any income really, just working to just live there while he, his family continues to grow for 14 years. And then he goes ahead and he takes out all the animals that Jacob had requested and said, good luck. <laughs> no, it's dark stuff humans do to each other. How we're so willing to deceive and manipulate one another. And Laban is a good example of that. Laban is a perfect example of what the fall really looks like. It looks like people who are just trying to reach the blessings rather than recognizing that God is the one who blesses and we should also bless each other because it's a representation of who God is when we do that. And so the fall happens and we are deserving of judgment because of this. We all deserve judgment because we have all sinned against God. We've sinned against each other. I mean, we even sin against ourselves every time we sin. How weird is that? Yet we do it. Because every sin that we commit is guilty on our own heads. It makes no sense to sin, but we do it. And so the question is, what can happen to a people like us who are more like Laban than anyone else, really? Well, thankfully, through this line, even technically from Laban... (laughs) I guess in a way, or from his family, I should say, yeah. Comes Jesus Christ. The redeemer of the world. And that even from this this broken family of people who make so many stupid mistakes that you're kind of wondering, why? Why are they there? (laughs) We can see that God has a plan for redemption in Jesus and it comes from even this broken family. And that means that, you know, all the broken families can rejoice because Christ can redeem broken families. He can redeem all broken things. 
And so we see a bit of redemption in this as God continues to bless by his grace. Because that's why we believe. Because we have believed by his grace. And we have been blessed by his grace. And it's going to lead to, you know, Jacob, he inherited flocks. He inherited an abundance of wealth right there. What's our wealth? Where are we heading? It's not to gold here and cattle and camels. It's to the very presence of our God, the true giver, the one from whom all these blessings flow. He's the treasure, and that's where we're heading if we're in Christ. So as we continue on today and as we continue on with with communion especially, let us remember the joy that we have in Christ, that in him it all comes together perfectly, and that even our broken selves can be redeemed. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much because of what your son has done through his cross. And Lord, we ask that as we live our lives, we would continue to dwell upon you, that we would continue to read your scriptures, and that we would continue to find more and more of this, this Christ, this Savior, whom we all adore, and who is worthy of us, because he has sacrificed his life for us. And Lord, as we continue forward, let us shine his light by being honest, truthful, by not being schemers, by not believing superstitions, but clinging to the truth of the gospel of Jesus in his ways. We thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Please rise as we sing.